Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to an Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel. We don't get a lot out of Ezekiel, but we are going to uh, cover a passage that's relevant to us today in Ezekiel chapter 22. Our church has a mission statement that we, uh, that we adopted. And we adopted this mission statement earlier this year, and this is what it says, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And when you look at that, those are nine words that, that pretty well describe what we do as a church. This is where we're going, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. What that means is every one of us is members of this church. Anyone that's considering to be a part of this church, if you want to join our church, this is where we're going to emphasize and that is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And that means that you are sent. We're all sent. Whether it be across the street or around the world, we are sent. Transform people. This is our challenge. This is for us to grow in Christ, to be transformed. Not just to, to change a few habits, but to be transformed from the inside out. To have God's Spirit begin to do a work in your life. And when that transformation, as that's taking place, we are to influence our world for Christ, your world, your school, your business, your neighborhood, your team, your dance group, whatever it may be that you're a part of, that is your world. And you are to influence that world and to influence that world for Christ. So when you come up with a mission statement and you share this, it's not just a slogan. And I I never want us to look at these nine words and say, well, it's a cute little slogan, looks good on print, and I think we can do some nice things with us. We just put it out uh, there in the lobby area, put it up there on the wall. No, no. This is not a slogan. This is our direction. This is our North Star. This is the compass that when we try to figure out the activities that we do in this church and directions we take in our church, it all needs to come back to this is our mission, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. It's like that golden thread that weaves through every activity that we do. So you say, okay, if I want to be this person, that transformed person who's sent to influence their world for Christ, the question is, is how do I know if I'm really doing this? How do I know if I am that person? How do you define spiritual success? How do you know how am I doing on this? Well, Over these next six weeks, we're going to introduce to you six measures, six measures. Each measure is a question, and in essence, it is saying, how am I doing? In Sunday school, we will introduce the first measure next Sunday, and in the sermon, I'll also build on that, and we'll do this for over seven weeks. And so we are going to take all of us through a journey to try to come up with these six measures, these six questions that in essence ask, how am I doing? It's like if you wanted to know how my heart's doing, one of the things you do is you take your blood pressure. You take your blood pressure. When you've done that, you've got an idea as to what's going on inside. If you want to know how your weight is, you step on the scales. Maybe not a whole bunch. Uh, (laughs) You step on the scales and it gives you an indication of how you're doing with your weight. Well, how are we doing spiritually? What is this spiritual success? What does this look like? Well, these six measures, these six questions that we will go into 
are not, again, just to be one sermon, one Sunday school lesson, move on, and let's see where we go from here. These are to be internalized in our lives. And our goal is that when we get to the end of November, that these six questions will be internalized into every one of us so that we're constantly checking ourselves up and we're constantly asking ourselves these six questions. And so in order to do that, it means that we are going to have to take some additional time to be able to internalize these into our hearts. So over these next seven weeks, as we will be internalizing these measures, we are also going to be running on another track. We're going to have two tracks that are going to be running at the same time, but they're all going to make sense. The second track is our nation and the presidential election, which will be taking place in 44 days. Never in all my life have I seen two more polarizing figures running for president and two different visions for America. Now, there will be the first debate tomorrow, and uh, many people expect it to be the most watched debate in history because you really don't know what to expect. Uh, You know, my hope is that there will be substantive discussion of the issues that will take place, but my fear is that it could turn out to be like a WWF WrestleMania production. So who knows when we get Hillary and Donald together in a debate? Uh, It's got my interest. But what I am hearing... As, um, as, as we've been progressing through this time, is that people are being turned off to both candidates. It's not a good thing. Um, you know, when you've got 300 million people, you think you'd come up with some folks that everybody would like, but we've got two candidates that are kind of polarizing. And uh, But what we need to realize is there are some very important issues at stake. For some of these issues, there are similarities between the two candidates and their approach and their belief. But for most issues, there are glaring differences that will shape our nation for the next two decades and beyond. Now, I'm not asking you if you're in this crowd, if, you're, if you believe this, I just want to know, have you ever heard? Since this election cycle started, have you ever heard anybody say, I really don't like either candidate and so I'm just not going to vote? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Most folks over here? Yes. Okay? And that's sort of the fallback. I'm just not going to vote. Well, personally, as your pastor, I do not think that not voting is an option. I believe as a citizen that we should take seriously that right that we have. What separates us from the New Testament church is that the New Testament church, they could sit there and they could, uh, they could talk about the evils of, uh, of what was going on in their culture, but they had no voice. They had no vote. We do have a vote. And we can let our opinions be known, but we also have an opportunity to go to the ballot box and to vote for one of the candidates. And so I'm encouraging all of us to take this seriously and to vote. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is for, there's some of you that know exactly which candidate you want to vote for. That's great. Move forward. There's a lot of folks that really don't like either candidate or are upset with this or that. This is what I want to ask you. I want you to separate the personalities of the candidates, and I want you to take a look at the platforms of the two parties. Each party has written their platform. Now, I understand that when a candidate gets elected, they will not stay 100% with everything that is stated in the platform. 
But what we do need to understand is that the direction they take the country will be in accordance with the platform, and a large percentage of legislation and leadership will go towards the ideologies that are expressed in the platform. The political platform of the parties, they are important. So the two parties have written out their platform. This is their ideology. This is their philosophy. This is their vision for America. Now, again, you might not like either individual, but you need to realize that the ideologies of the two platforms are vastly different. And as an informed citizen, you need to understand these two platforms and from there decide which presents the vision for America that you agree with and that you feel would honor God the most. Once you see the platform that you believe matches up with your values and your vision, then go vote for the candidate who will lead in that direction. So you, so really what I'm asking is, I think everyone needs to vote. You say, I'm not real crazy about either candidate. What does their platform say? Read over the platforms. They are vastly different. And so when you look and you say, I like this vision, go with that candidate. Or I like this vision, go with that candidate. Because that's the direction that our country will be going in the next decades on there. Now, the platforms for each party are included in a document that could range anywhere from 40 to 60 pages in length. And I know you're chomping at the bit to run out these doors and say, well, get me to those platforms. I want to dig through all that kind of stuff. Only a crazy person would want to do that, right? I found the crazy person who would do it. It just took one contact. I knew exactly who to go to that would be the man to do that. And his name is Cameron Smith in our church. Cameron Smith, he's kind of a political junkie guy. He loves to keep up with culture, what's going on. And I gave him a challenge a couple months ago. I said, Cameron, this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to read through all the Republican platform. I want you to read through all the Democratic platform. And I want you to take it and I want you to put it into bite-sized chunks that people can understand. And so what Cameron has done is put together an amazing document that covers 22 areas in both platforms, ranges everything from abortion to agriculture uh, to environment to education uh, to, uh, to trade to immigration. I mean, it's all over the map, 22 areas. And he's taken it and it's used strictly the language in the document. And he's put it into bite-sized chunks. There's... Um, the salient facts. There's no editorializing. There's no Cameron Smith. There's no Danny Wood. There's nothing else in there. It is straight off the platform, but it is a, a document that in 10 to 15 minutes you can read through and you'll see 22 different areas and you'll see different visions for our country. Now, the great thing about that is that if you sat down for 10 to 15 minutes and read that document, you would be more informed than 90% of the voting constituency. Most people get their information from the national media, which means most people have no idea what the issues are and where the candidates stand. So at the end of this service, I will give you a link on our website that you can access so you can be an informed voter. And then hopefully you'll go to the polls on November 8th and you will vote. And then maybe also it can engender some discussion that you can have with others. I'm not telling you how to vote. I just say you need to vote. You need to be familiar with the issues. And so we've put together a document, I think, that will be very helpful for you on that. Okay, two different tracks. We're looking at the measures, six questions, how am I doing? 
And then we're looking at the presidential election. You say, Danny, where's all this going to come together? You better hang on. It's incredible. When we get to the end of the message, you're going to see this is all going to make sense. Are you ready? Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. In Ezekiel 22, the prophet is um, writing, and uh, he's writing to the, the nation uh, of Israel, uh, specifically to uh, what's called Judah, the two southern tribes where Jerusalem is. And uh, he's writing about the judgment that is coming. And judgment is coming upon the city because of what they have been doing. And the judgment will be coming from a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they are going to come in, and they are going to put a siege on the city, and then they're going to destroy the city. And so as Ezekiel is sharing this message, he begins to share some of the reasons why this is going to happen, and then he puts a challenge at the end. In verse 23, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Then he begins to get specific and begins to talk about the leaders. And he focuses on the sins of the leaders, the kings, the princes, the priests, the prophets. And he shows ways in which their sins have been a ruin to the people as a whole. One of the great commentators, uh, D.A. Carson, took this passage and he summarized it in a paragraph that relates even to our nation today. He says, in any declining culture... Much of the declension comes about by leaders and preachers who are far more interested in retaining power than in serving. People who devote more attention to the spin that they will give to public answers than to the truthfulness of their answers. Pretty soon, the entire fabric of the culture unravels and corruption is soon tolerated, then it's expected. Cynicism becomes the order of the day. More and more people do more and more of what they think they can get away with. And integrity becomes so rare, it is newsworthy. And then he goes on, as Ezekiel goes through, and he starts highlighting each of these areas. Verse 26, it says, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I have profaned among them. I mean, the priests, they were to be like the the God conscience of, of the land. And he said, they have not drawn a difference between the holy things and the things that are profane. They're disregarding the Sabbath. It's their responsibility to talk about the Sabbath rules and to keep it holy. And they're not even doing that. Then he goes to verse 27. And in verse 27, he says, he says, her princes, that's the uh, government officials. The government officials in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. He said the government officials have misused their power for personal unjust gain. Instead of serving the people, they've made the people victims. Verse 28. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them. 
seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. He says, so what's happening is, in essence, the preachers are going out there and the prophets, and they're whitewashing the message. They're tickling everybody's ears. They're just saying the things that you really want to hear. You're wanting some good, feel-good messages out there. And, and while the whole city is dying and, and crushing and, and, and kind of turning in on itself due to all this sin, they're wanting to say there's peace everywhere and everything's wonderful. And when they share those messages, they say, this is a word from the Lord. And he says here, but the, word is, but the Lord has not spoken that. The Lord has not given that word. And so the preachers are whitewashing message, tickling, tickling people's ears. And then verse 29 It says, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. The people of the land. So what has happened is leadership started being corrupt up here among among the the religious leaders and the governmental leaders. And because of uh, the corruption that was happening there, it began to filter down to the people And all of a sudden, as it filtered down to the people, the people are practicing extortion, robbery, exploiting the poor and the needy, and for those who cannot defend themselves. The people are following the example of the leaders. And if there's corruption from the leaders, it then trickles down to the rest of the people, and it becomes acceptable and normative behavior. That is how the fabric of a culture begins to unravel. And he says, this is what's going on in Jerusalem. He says, this is what's happening in our city right now. And so he's preaching a message that no one really wanted him to preach, and people didn't want to hear, but he's being real honest and straightforward with them and saying, folks, this is where we are. But to me, as bad as that is, the saddest is verse 30 and 31. Because in verse 30, he says this, and I, God, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall And stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Man, that is a sad few words in Scripture. But I found none. So what God does is he talks about what he's seeking. He said, I'm seeking a true prophet who would take on the difficult and dangerous task of interceding for the people, looking for someone to take the lead and take a stand in the breaches of the wall so that he would not destroy the land. God had tried to find somebody that could rebuild the wall of righteousness that guarded the land and then stand in the gap in the wall. This expression, stand in the gap, is a picture of the wall there around Jerusalem, and there are gaping holes in it from those who've been attacking it. And as they're getting holes in the wall, he says, I need somebody to stand in the gap to protect the city. Physically, they can see that. Spiritually, he's saying, there's this righteous wall that is there, but there are gaps in that righteous wall. Because of your sin. And he says, I need somebody. I'm looking for one person to stand in the gap. And he says, I'm looking for to stand in the gap who would build up the wall, stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy. Stand for me to intercede for the land, to pray to God and say, you need to save the city of Jerusalem. Will somebody stand in the gap and do that? And these are the gaps that are caused in their wall by dishonesty and greed and lust. And they've torn away the whole fabric of society. And he says, somebody needs to step up. Somebody to stand up. It says, 
but I found no one. No one. But all I could think about was Genesis 18. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, whenever we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, we always talk, talk about the, the hellfire and brimstone and God destroyed uh, that, those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you realize that God gave uh, Abraham uh, a little bit of an insight and he said, hey, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah is so wicked, I'm going to destroy it. Well, Abraham had Lot, had family member over there, and he said, oh, God, no, no, no. You can't, you can't destroy that. He says, think about all the righteous people there. He says, what if we found 50 righteous people, would you save the city? God said, okay, find me 50 righteous, I'll save the city. Then Abraham began to think about the census data that had just come back in. He said, well, maybe, maybe if we get down to 40. And God said, okay, 40 would be all right. Well, maybe down to 30. God said, okay, 30. Well, 20. Then finally he says, okay, God, if I can find 10 righteous people, if I can find 10 righteous people, will you save the city? And you know what God said? Sure will. I'll do it. Just find me 10 righteous and I'll save the city. Couldn't find 10 righteous. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Jerusalem had gotten so bad that God says, I'm looking for one person. I'm looking for one person. I'm looking for one man to stand in the gap. One man to breach that gap. One man to intercede for Jerusalem. And then he says, but I found none. But I found none. And whenever you see the, but I found none, your next question is, what will he do? It says, therefore, verse 31, I've poured out my indignation upon them. Because I couldn't find that one person to stand in the gap. You see, God's plan for reaching ungodly people and ungodly nations is still the same. He uses godly men and women to stand in the gaps in morality, in spirituality, and to make the difference by calling that nation and individuals to repentance, to faith, to righteousness, and commitment to Christ. He works the same way today, looking for men and women, young people, to stand up and to be the person that stands in the gap, intercedes for the land calling people to repentance, calling people to faith, challenging people to live righteous lives and commit their lives to Christ. Couldn't find one. He says, therefore, I've poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. He said, I'm just looking for someone to stand. There was no one, so his wrath came down. Now, some people would read this passage and they say, well, why wouldn't God save Jerusalem? What Ezekiel is saying is you need to understand the scope of the sin. And he redirects the question and says, how could a holy God do anything other than condemn the city? How could a holy God do anything other than condemn the city for the way they've been living on there? God is looking for people to stand in the gap for our cities and our nation. And see, so part of your question can be, well, why is that our responsibility? Why are we to be ones that are to stand in that gap and to intercede? Well, the reason is, is because Jesus Christ did the same thing for you and me. He stood in the gap for us. You see, we had this wall of righteousness built all around us, and there were all kind of holes in it, but of all the sins that we have committed. And because of all the attacks of, of the evil one and, and the willingness of our sin, it caused us to be separated from God. 
And as we're separated from God, we were doomed to spend eternity separated from him because of our sin. And what God did was he says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to stand in the gap. And when he went to the cross and he died on the cross, he shed his blood. And if you could visually get a picture of, of a wall of righteousness, of really which would be almost unrighteousness because of all the things that we've done wrong, and his blood fills every one of those. And he fills all the gaps in that. And because of what he did on the cross, and when we accept him as our Savior, God sees us differently. He doesn't see, see us as this broken wall with all these gaps in it. He sees the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, lived a perfect life, went at the cross, died for our sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That when we receive Christ, it's the righteousness of God. God looks at us, and he sees the righteousness of his son. Wow. See, Jesus stood in the gap for us and for all of us. And for thus, those of us who've received Christ as Savior, who we've accepted that gift, he has, we, we are the beneficiaries of what he has done for us on the cross. And now what he's asking is for us to turn around and to stand in the gap for others and for our nation. That is what we are called to do. We are to share in this ministry of standing in the gap, to intercede for the lost, and then to live lives of purity so that nothing will hinder the message that we proclaim. We have two tracks. We have our measures, six questions, how am I doing? We've got the presidential election with our nation. So what are we going to do? This is what I'm asking us to do as a congregation. It's called 50 Days of Standing in the Gap. If you start on October 2nd all the way through November 20th, it would be 50 days. 50 days of standing in the gap. Now, if I can just cover this base, I don't get any emails or tear-offs over here. This is just what I'm emphasizing at this time. We should always be standing in the gap for others, but we're just going to put a focus for this 50 days of standing in the gap. So what do you want to do for these 50 days? Number one, I want to intercede for our nation and the presidential election. We've got 44 days before the election. What I'm calling all of us as believers to do is to intercede for our nation, to pray for our nation, to, to pray that there would be the moral compass would turn back to our Lord, would pray that God himself would be glorified in our country, that we see this mighty movement, the spirit of revival, uh, this um, a time of, uh, of evangelism to just see people come to know Christ as Savior. And pray for that. And then pray for a presidential election. And pray that our people will go and they will vote. And that, and that, uh, and that as that person is elected, that whoever is elected would serve and, and serve this nation in the direction it needs to go. We need to pray for that. We need to be informed and we need to pray. But the second thing I'm asking you to do is to internalize the six measures. Internalize the six measures. There will be six questions. My hope is that by the time we come to the end of November, every one of you will know those six questions, and you'll be asking yourself those six questions constantly. You need to internalize. You say, well, how am I going to do these two? I'm so glad you asked, because that's where number three comes in, and that is this. Intentionally pray and fast. Intentionally pray and fast. For these 50 days, I'm asking us as a church 
to intentionally pray and fast for our nation and to internalize these six measures. Now, let me give you a definition of fasting over here. Fasting. Fasting is a choice to forego for a time something that is good and right so that our spiritual appetite for the things of God may be whetted. Okay? Look at that again. It's a choice to forego for a time. It means you give something up. Something that is good and right. Don't sit there and say, I'm going to give, I'm going to stop doing bad stuff. All right? You're supposed to be stop, you're supposed to stop doing that anyway. Okay? So don't sit there and say, I'm not going to argue with my wife for 50 days. Okay? Now that would be a godly thing and she would be very happy with that. But you don't get your fasting check mark on that. Uh, it is something that is good and right. And I'm going to give you some examples at the end. So that our spiritual appetite for the things of God may be whetted. Fasting is not just giving something up to give something up. It means you give something up in order to do something else. And it whets your spiritual appetite. Uh, fasting could be something is like cutting out the competition. You know, there are things that are constantly fighting for, uh, for our time with God, and especially in the world we live in today with uh, so many, our, our, our phones and our laptops and all the things we've got going. There's such a competition to even have time with God. What fasting does, it takes one of those things out and frees up that time for God. It sort of cuts out the competition so we can focus on him and what he's saying on us. So by you abstaining from either a food or an activity, you give your mind and flesh notice of your intent to focus completely on our Savior. So I'm asking us that for this time of of 50 days to say, I want to do some, I want to fast something and I want to pray for our nation and pray about these measures. Let me give you some uh, practical suggestions here as we talk about fasting. So, so tell, me, tell me what you mean. October 2nd, we start on October 2nd. I, I want you to be prepared to say, don't tell me, but to say, this is what I, I want to fast. Now, there's some of you that may feel God is leading you to do an extended fast. And sometimes people have done 21-day fast where uh, they just, it's just a water and juice fast. Some people have done 30 days. Some have done even 40-day fast. If God's placed that on your heart, then you move towards that. You can go online. Uh, I know Bill Bright is not living any longer, but he was the founder of Chemistry Crusade. But if you want Bill Bright fasting or crew fasting, they've got some great um, uh, pointers and descriptions and, and some guidelines for you to help you on that. But I realize that probably 98% of our congregation is probably like a fall in that, in that area. So I don't want you to take this word fasting and say, wow, that's just too much for me. Oh, no. There are other things that you can do on fasting. For some people, just an example, uh, sometimes people will do a one-day sunrise to sunset. Sunrise to sunset. And what it means is they won't eat solid food. They would just drink liquids or so and um, get up in the morning and uh, drink, uh, you know, just have liquids or, or whatever. And in that time at lunchtime and then sunset, it, then you eat dinner uh, that night. You say, well, what is the purpose of that? Well, the time that you usually spend for breakfast, instead of eating breakfast and, and working on your cereal or eggs or whatever, you spend that time with the Lord. Your lunch hour, instead of going out to get something for lunch, 
You just stay in the office or in your home or wherever you are and take that hour, read God's word, and pray. Pray about these things. Intercede for our nation. Pray about the measurable that we'll talk that week. Um, some people may say, I-, I would fast a meal one day a week. Just pick a day, maybe Thursday. And you say, Thursday's going to be my day. You circle it. Lunchtime, no meal. It's just me and God. Now, I'm hoping you're walking with him through the day, through the week, but on that one particular day, I'm just going to focus on him. Uh, it could be certain foods. For some, it, it may be coffee. Hey, preach, that's a little bit tough. Uh, I understand that. Uh, we've got a handout you're going to read that even said to fast college football. <laughs> Whoa, who came up with that idea? But, um, uh, but uh, <laughs> a guy from California. Uh, so <laughs> we take all kind in our staff. All right. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but, you know, it could be say, hey, I'm not going to drink uh, caffeine. I'm going to fast caffeine. I'm going to fast Cokes, uh, fast desserts, whatever. Choose something you like. If I sat there and told you I am fasting guacamole and shellfish, that's not a good thing. I'm allergic to both of those, okay? So um, that, that's not like, hey, I'm going to give up guacamole. Great. Uh, something that you like. Something you say, you know what? I'm going to give this up. You say, okay, so what happens if I just give up that food? Having had to give up foods before for different reasons in my life, whenever you give a food up, the temptation always circles around to eat that food, doesn't it? Or to drink that drink or whatever it may be. Well, whenever that urge hits, just let that be your sign to say, you know what, Lord? Hey, I want to pray. I want to take some time right now. And I'm not going to be where I usually go over and get that cup of coffee or so. I'm just going to take these moments. And I'm going to pray. And I've got these things I'm going to pray about. You and me, we're going to be together. See, what this means is that I am cutting out the competition and saying, Father, I'm going to put some things aside so I can spend time with you. Well, food may not be your thing to give up. It could be certain activities. For some, it could be Xbox or some video games or whatever else and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to fast that for, for a day a week or, or whatever. For some, it could be when I get home at 6 o'clock, no TV. For some, it could be no Internet on this particular day or night. For some, it's going to say, and I know this is going to be difficult, no social media for, uh, for a day or a night or so. Just think about it. I mean, there are all kind of activities and foods that are a part of our life that we really enjoy, but that we could cut out and just have that time with the Lord. We free up that time to focus on the measures, free up that time to focus on our nation. And so this week, this is what I'm, going, I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to begin to pray about what it is that you want to give up during those 50 days. And um, and it it is not legalistic. It could change week to week. One week may be a food item. Next week may be an activity. It's whatever God puts on your heart. What is most important is for you to say, for these 50 days, I am going to cut out some of the competition and I'm going to give some dedicated time to reading God's word and praying to God. He said, well, Danny, what will I pray about? We're going to help you with that. Starting next week, we're going to show you at a website. You go there, and after the sermon, after Sunday sermon, on the first measure, the first question, have I met with God today? On that first question, we will have a few bullet points And we're also going to have suggestions of what to pray for our nation. 
and we will have that posted, and we're also going to send it out social media. You'll get an email every other way you can think of social media. We'll be sending it out. So every member of this church will get that. And this will be suggestions for how you can internalize that measure and also how to pray for our nation. The next week, same drill. It's going to happen over and over and over again. So you'll get fresh things to pray for, praying for our nation. And then you say, well, now, what happens after November 8th, Danny? You're going all the way through the 20th. <laughs> we may need more prayer after November 8th than we do before November 8th. <laughs> so after the election's done, that doesn't mean we just stop praying. No, we pray. You pray for that person that's been elected, okay? Pray for them. Pray for their life. Pray for the decisions that they're going to be making. And we just carry that all the way till we get to uh, November, November 30th, okay? Now, This is going to be how we start this. In your pews, you have a front and back sheet called Prayer and Fasting, a Preparation Guide. If it's on, if you're sitting on the left side, if you'll just take it and pass it, pass one down. Everybody should be able to have, it is front and back. It is front and back. You can hold on to this to do your homework this week. To find out what is the area that I would like to fast. Now also if you look on the back, if you turn it over to the back, you will see the next to the last sentence. And it talks about beginning Sunday, October 2nd online at www.shades.org slash measures. That is our website for this. Now, David, if you can put that on the, on the screen. Uh, this right here, when this service is over, you can click on this. When you go to this, it will give you a digital copy of this. So when you lose this out in the parking lot, you can go to this and no excuses. Okay. Wow. I hate that. I lost that. I can't fast now. Oh, it's online. <laughs> I fasted online. I don't know, but go with this. Okay. You click that and, and also you'll get a digital copy of this and it will give you a link to the political uh, information on the party's platform uh, that has been put together for you. And I encourage you to read through that, be informed, and be ready to take a next step in that area. And then be thinking about, God, what is it that I'd like to cut out of my schedule so that I can spend more time with you and to be able to be a person who stands in the gap for our nation and be a person who wants to internalize these measures. Why is it so important you internalize these measures? Because these measures are asking, you're asking diagnostic questions about yourself. And what you want to do and what I want to do is to be moving towards a transformed person. And I don't want anything in my life to keep me from being a deliverer of the message of Christ. And so I want to be able to influence my world. And if I'm going to be able to influence my world, I want to imitate Christ. It's not my example that changes anybody's life. It's not my words that changes anybody's life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. All I am is a vehicle that God uses, but I want to be the best vehicle that God can use. I want to be a clean vessel, 
And I want to be one that can go out there and when someone hears that message, there's a receptivity and then the Holy Spirit comes in and just grabs that life and begins a transformation process there. So I want to look at the measures and I want to be interceding for our nation. And we do this together as a church over the next 50 days. It's just going to be exciting to see, I think, what God does in our lives and hopefully what God does in our nation and what he does in our world of influence, the places where you have influence. It's where we can take the message of Christ. Let this be a time when we get out of any spiritual lethargy, get out of the status quo, and just go up another level in our spiritual walk and say, God, I want to be close to you than I've ever been, and I'm going to give you more time than I've ever given you, and then see what begins to take place. He can transform your life. He can transform your family. He can transform this church. He can transform this community. And so may we be a people that commit ourselves to be those who stand in the gap, stand in the gap for God. I want to ask you to stand at this time. So as we stand, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And I'm going to be praying. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and pray for this next week. They've got to be very clear in next steps that need to be taken. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do not want you to walk past this church and to say, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap, but no one was found. Lord, we want to be people. We want to be a people who will stand in the gap. We want to be people who care for our nation, who care for our city, who care for our world, And we'll intercede for them. And we want to be in front of you and praying to you. Lord, we want to be reading your word. We want to be learning more about who you are and experience more of your presence and your power. And so I pray specifically for this next week that you'll help us all take this very seriously and see the things that we can set aside, put a little sacrifice in it so that we can have that wonderful, valuable time with you. So Lord... We love you, and we're excited about the journey that we're partaking on, and we pray for our nation. We pray for the debates tomorrow. We pray that you would be honored through all that was said. We pray that, that our nation would begin to get an idea as to what direction that we need to go, even from a voting standpoint. And so, Father, we know that you are sovereign, and we trust you, and we know that we can depend on you. And so we love you, and we just desire to know you more and to be used by you to be that clean vessel that stands in the gap. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.